Today's episode is brought to you from a killer porch swing on Martha's Vineyard. I could fit 10 people on this swing. It's a chilly last week of summer kind of night, complete with a cricket choir, an ocean breeze, and peaks of a starry sky through the clouds. I'm here at the vineyard with over a dozen other living donors and living donor advocates who work or volunteer for the National Kidney Donation Organization. We're here for a long weekend of kidney education, collaboration, team building, and a lot of fun. And let me tell you, with this group of humans, there's been no shortage of fun, or oyster eating, or late night shenanigans. Tonight, I'm pulling Cody, Steve, and Terry away from the festivities for a chat on my huge swing. These three are non-directed donors, donors who donated a kidney without an intended recipient and without anything to gain themselves by donating. I wanna learn more about what happened to their kidneys after they donated, who got the kidney, did they want to meet their recipients? Also, non-directed kidney donors tend to have a higher quality of life score after donation as compared to the general population. So I'm also curious to hear if these donors emotionally benefited from donating. If so, what did they gain? These guys are all next door. I'm going to run over and find somebody chatty for you. Be right back. Can you tell me your name and when you donated? Yeah, sure. So I am Cody Maynard. I donated back in 2017 when I was 21 years old. I actually started the process when I was 20, but the state that I was trying to donate in, which was Indiana, mm -hmm. had a minimum age requirement of 21. And so I ended up doing it through University of Colorado, um, but I had turned 21 by the time I huh. ended up donating. So why do you think Colorado was okay with it and Indiana wasn't? <clears throat> I have no idea. You know, different rules, different hospital systems. Um, when I was in Europe presenting at um, this medical conference for our organization, which was previously donor to donor, um, there were a bunch of different countries with vastly different requirements for the minimum age. So I think Sweden was like 30 or something. And I'm in these conversations, having these ethical conversations with the, you know, doctors and nephrologists and whatnot and surgeons. And they're saying, well, you know, your brain's not developed enough to it's make not. that decision. It's well, not done yet. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's still cooking. Yeah, it's definitely still cooking, but it's developed enough, right? And yeah. you think about, like, are we okay as a society with um, young men and women electing to go to war and sacrifice themselves for their country? We say, you know what, 18 is an appropriate age for that. <clears throat> I would argue that kidney donation is, is similar. I look back on it as like a, a cool feat, you know, as someone who climbed a big mountain would be like, yeah, that was a dope thing. It was mm -hmm. cool. And I'd encourage other people to do it all the time. It's totally dope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How have you benefited from being, being a living donor? What, what benefits has, how has it positively impacted your life? It's a good question. I think when I went into the process, I thought it would be totally fascinating to not know who my recipient was mm -hmm. and to just know that my kidney was out there somewhere, right? So 
you're driving along and you know somebody cuts you off in traffic usually you want to flip in the bird and like start screaming at them but you could take a step back and just say you know wait, wait that person cut out my kidney you know somebody's giving you sass at the dmv you just take a step back and go whoa that person's got my kidney so i was looking forward to a new perspective on strangers right like having better intentions about you know people come from good intentions and we don't always think of that when we're just meeting new people um and then when i ended up donating my donor coordinator let it slip that my my kidney was going to a little kid and so cool. um, that was it was cool to hear but <laughs> less on the you know anonymity side of of who i would would know that it would go to but um yeah. I'm so you know it's a kid, and then you didn't reach <clears throat> out further to find out any details? No, I know that it was a two-year-old little boy, eight, about 18 months old. Um, I wrote a note. I don't know if I would want to know. I think, to me, it's more the principle that was the important thing, mm -hmm. right? It's the act of doing a good thing. So, like, once you donate, in my mind... Like, obviously, you want your kidney to have the best outcome, but if it goes south, that's not your fault, no, right? So, so not. it's kind of like out of peace, out of mind. What is it? What is that? Yeah. Out of sight, out, out of, of mind. sight, out of mind, <laughs> right? And, you know, it's a cool thing, but beyond that, I think I did my part, <laughs> you know? And how has it positively impacted your life? Like, what do you think the best thing? has been for you from, from all of us. <laughs> Probably the vacations. No, I'm just <laughs> I'll, um, I'll cheers you to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think um, everyone needs some sort of underlying purpose in life or whatever, whether you get that through some like higher spiritual meaning or divine inspiration or just, you know, something that you're really passionate about, whether it's a hobby or art or you have close family members or something this i think allows me to have a nice balance between you know typical corporate style where i'm doing my job i like what i'm doing um but i'm definitely not saving the world right whereas this nonprofit that we can be a part of you know in the back of your mind i'm doing my my part to improve some aspects of our of society's you know livelihood yeah which i think is cool you know yeah this is kind of like the, uh, you know, the litter effect where everyone's like, oh, there's litter over there. I wish somebody would have picked that up, mm -hmm. you know, and nobody's picking it up. Yeah. Um, but you picked up that dog shit. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And th th there's another analogy that I use, and I don't know if it's, it's definitely not completely accurate, but it, it just makes sense to a lot of donors is if you're walking by a pool and you see somebody drowning and you're wearing two life jackets you give them one of your extra life jackets. Like it just, any one of us would do that. Yeah. It's a little scarier because obviously you have to have an invasive procedure and whatnot. I get that, but you get good treatment. You're going to be fine. I don't think everybody thinks that way. And I, I like the, also the, the comparison to an airplane. You're in an airplane that's crashing and you have two parachutes and you don't jump out and say, I'm going to keep this one because right, I might need right, it for my daughter. Right, right. You know? Um, right. 
but it would be nice if we could all look at it as just like, okay, we've, we've got this, this other life jacket. What, what can we do with it yeah. that, you know, somebody desperately needs that life jacket? Right, right. Yeah. So I think it's a good cause because I think we have a solution. Not everyone's on board with the solution and participating in the solution, but we know it's a solution. No, and, a and that's okay. Yeah. Not totally, everybody needs totally. to. It's not for everyone. Um, well, thank you. Absolutely. This was fun. Yeah, I good. It. <laughs> How was it? Was that, that good? Was, that was really good. <laughs> Am I okay with the glasses on? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, no. with, with, uh, in my hair, I mean, like, to keep the hair back? Well, I'll take it off. Oh, no, it's only on. It can't see me, right? Yeah. No video. <laughs> no video. It's not on, is it? Yeah, I just started recording. So it's on now? Okay, got it. Yeah. Right. I, just, I just started it right before you okay. said that. My first question for you is how did living donation positively impact your life? Oh, Lori, that's, yeah, uh, that's a great question, and it's been positive. We are always searching for, I've always been searching for additional meaning. I'm, I'm not an overly religious guy. I think the name of the book was Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. And I've been very fortunate in my life. I've got great kids, a great wife. I've got a great job or you know, good business. And it was like, okay, what's next? What else can we do to better the world? So when I heard about this and did it, uh, I've just found a level of peace that I probably haven't had prior. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. I wish I could do it again. So I've thought about you know half the liver. I'm not there. It's probably got more mileage on it than my kidneys have. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's brought a level of inner peace that uh, that I really it's it's a wonderful feeling to have to know that you were able to just really do something for somebody else that it's bettered their life, improved their lives substantially. So, so do you know who your kidney went to? All I know is it was a 53-year-old woman in Seattle, Washington. I know that I was a very rare match for her. So there was there's something called CPRA. And if it was like a 95% CPRA, which means only 5% of the, popu- the entire population would have been a potential match. So and then out of that piece, you've got to find donors who would you know be willing to donate. So... Uh, it was a very rare match for her. So that makes me feel even, even better. That I'm not sure why that happened, but I don't know. You know I know 53-year-old woman in Seattle. I never met her. I did reach out to her and didn't hear anything back, which is okay. I'd love to, I'd love to say thank you to her. I'd love to say thank you for helping me you know, just garner this inner peace that uh, I've never had prior. And so I'd love to meet her, but if I don't, it's okay. Perfectly okay. That's awesome. Isn't that funny how... The donors who haven't gotten to meet their recipients, I, at least the ones that are here this weekend, I feel like our reason for wanting to reach those people is for us to thank them. And it's not about hearing a thank you from them to us. Um, it's about just like getting to lay eyes on the person that you mm-hmm. that you share something pretty intimate with. Like, it's I, pretty intimate. I wouldn't want to. You're inside uh, that woman. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Don't say that too loud. My wife might hear. <laughs> Um, I would love to say thank you to her. Yeah. And I, I, 
I wouldn't want her to say thank you to me. Mm-hmm. I, I would just love to say thank you for allowing me to achieve a level of peace that I probably could not have gained without your help. So yeah, that's uh, and it's nice to be inside of you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that legal? Is that? I mean, I want it to be edgy, so that's great. That's, that, that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I do too. So wow. <sighs> That was easy, huh? That was great. Was there anything else you want to add or anything else you'd want to say? I don't think so. Um, I'd responded to a Facebook story about a little boy in Kentucky who needed a kidney, and I was between jobs. I've always been a very regular blood donor on the bone marrow registry, and this just seemed very natural. It seemed like something I could do. So I reached out to his transplant center and um, went through all the tests over a period of a few months, was cleared for surgery, and then he, his medical condition changed to where he no longer needed my kidney. So at that point I was invested, I learned more about the difference kidney donation made, and so um, I moved my case uh, on my own to another transplant center closer to home because I knew there were some great ones in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't have to do everything over. I did a few things over and then I became uh, committed to donating at that transplant center. As a non-directed donor? As a non-directed donor. So um, I have a pretty popular blood type. So Would they, that be an O? It would be an O. And so they said they could quickly find me. It would still be non-directed. I wouldn't know the person, but they could do something very quickly to get a kidney out of me and into someone else over a period of a few weeks. Or if I gave them a little time, they could build a chain that involved more people and would help more people. And at that point, that just seemed like the best decision to make. So that's what we did. Was to make a chain? Yes. And were you sad that you couldn't help the Facebook person? Like, were you invested in helping that specific person or did it kind of just? Yeah. So I, I never spoke, he was a child, so I never spoke to him directly and I never even spoke to his mother, but a close family friend knew that I was being tested and I had interacted with her quite a bit. She had never told the mother because she didn't want to get the child's mother's hopes up. Um, after the child received, he actually, his medical condition changed because he received a kidney from a deceased donor. Mm. And because of his medical condition, they felt like that was the best choice at the time. Um, so after that, she did, this friend of the mother did tell the mother that I was, had been approved and that he was going to have gotten a kidney anyway. They didn't regret their decision to do what they did. And I did send the little boy a gift after mm-hmm. that. Um, but no, I, I don't regret not helping him because I know he was helped. Yeah, He got what he needed when he needed it based on the advice of his medical team. And I was still able to donate. So who'd you donate to? I didn't know at the time who it was. Uh, Loyola's position is that you don't necessarily meet unless you already knew each other before. After the fact, I found out I was sitting across from him on a couch (laughs) the morning of the transplant surgery. But in my head, I had heard that I was donating to a woman. So I never even considered that he was the man I was looking for. 
Uh, I was looking, I was scanning all around the waiting room and I didn't even consider him. So I did not meet him until about three months after the surgery. And that's just their policy that they want everyone recovered and healed physically mm -hmm. and a little more emotionally imbalanced after a major surgery. And then it's, it was up to him and everyone in our chain, every recipient in our chain chose to meet their donor. So we all met. How long was your chain? There were three donors and three recipients. And, and there so were six total. All six of you got to meet at the same time? We did. We met in a press conference at Loyola with the Chicago media present the day before Thanksgiving, which was about three months after our surgery. What was that like? It was interesting because they put the three recipients on one side of the auditorium backstage and the three donors on the other side. So because my recipient's wife was also a donor in the chain, I was standing right next to her. <laughs> so we kind of had the early meeting. We had the meeting before the meeting because she figured out pretty quickly who I was. And I figured out pretty quickly who she was. So there's we only six people. So yeah, you can kind of figure out. Of us, yeah. There are only three donors on one side. Her and, age, she must be married to him. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we kind of got to have that emotional behind the scenes moment, you know, so that was special. But yeah, meeting him on a stage was interesting. And we had a multilingual chain. So we had Ukrainians and Spanish speaking only. Uh, my recipient and his wife both speak Spanish, but not exclusively. So there were interpreters and media and people. So we really didn't connect until after the press conference where we were able to all sit down kind of away from the reporters and talk between us. So that was, I'm glad we got to do that. So did you have people that came, that flew in from other countries for the surgeries or were, was everybody I don't think of so. USA? I think that, I think that they were there already. I don't think anyone came in, but mm -hmm. we did have international well, at least Telemundo, and I know there was a Russian-speaking um, outlet there, but I think they were all based in Chicago. So I don't think anyone flew in specifically for the surgery. I think they were already in Chicago for other reasons, for some with medical visas, so they couldn't stay there, mm -hmm. but they were there long enough for the, for the surgery. Did you have an expectation of what your relationship would be with this person? Not really, because the, you know, part of the workup ahead of time was making you very aware that that recipient may never want to meet you for any number of reasons. And I had to accept that. So in my head, I always thought I may never meet them and that's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I, I didn't really, I guess I was hopeful that I would, but I never expected it from them. Wow. Very cool. Can you tell me what is the biggest thing that you've gained from being a living donor? I think the awareness that whether you give a kidney or advocate for kidney donation or you work at a food pantry or a pet rescue, that there are big ways that you can change the outcomes for other people, things that are difficult for them or things they can't do themselves or 
difficult places they found themselves in and you can be the one to help that I think some people feel like, Oh, what can I do? I'm only one person. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you can, you can do a whole lot. Um, by just being one person. So I think that realization that, you know, I'd always been a blood donor, but that felt so remote, I guess this felt more connected. Even if I never met the recipient, I knew at that point what dialysis meant for a kidney patient. And I knew that it was going to change for that one person, whether I met them or not. And then in addition, I think, you know, it's brought me into a community of people who think the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not the only person that thinks that way. And I think at a time when all the news isn't good news, it's encouraging to hear that not everyone, you know, thinks so negatively about the people who live around them. Yeah, totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I loved that. Yeah. Well, thank you. And there you have it. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that kidney donors tend to have a higher quality of life score after donation as compared to the general population. These three stories cannot and do not fully represent the range of emotional consequences that donors can experience after donating. It's complicated stuff, and every donation and transplant story is unique and very personal to the individuals involved. Cody found a new way to relate to strangers. Steve found inner peace, and Terry found her tribe of like-minded people. All three experience immense gratitude for their donation experience, even now, years after donating. What other benefits can you imagine? Join me next month for Episode 6 with a very special guest, Dan Dickinson. Dan is a liver recipient and chairman of Northwestern's Transplant Village, and he's also my dad. This episode is about our family transplant story, which started over 20 years ago. Want to hear more donor stories? Check out the episode links at DonorDiaries.com to watch recorded stories from more of the NKDO team here with me this weekend. Interested in learning more about living donation? Visit NKDO.org. Thanks for listening to Donor Diaries. I'm your host, Lori Lee. Donor Diaries is produced by Rob and Jeff Lee. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please like and subscribe so as we drop episodes, you'll know. Thanks for listening.